It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth Exists, to glorify God through the edification of His saints and our local church, and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier. Well, is that a, a little bit uh, better of an intro? I, I felt that uh, with that kind of musical intro, I needed just a little bit more energy in my portion of the intro, and so I uh, needed to pick up, the, pick up the pace, pick up the energy a little bit. And actually, I, I'm really a, uh, a ditto head at heart. I was raised on Rush Limbaugh, and uh, he was, of course, the best at his craft of being entertaining while talking a lot about serious things. And uh, Rush was such a tremendously funny and imaginative guy, and uh, sitting in, in his uh, Attila the Hun chair behind the golden EIB microphone with talent on loan from God and half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair. I mean, uh, for for me, Rush was, was definitely the best, but uh, I, I'm not nearly that talented, and <laughs> hopefully we can, uh, though, be as enjoyable and interesting and hopefully a little bit funny here and there. Uh, we want this to be informative, uh, edifying, uh, but also uh, just enjoyable to listen to, and, and uh, we hope that this is uh, valuable for you as you make us part of your day. Uh, so last week, I mean, Jim inserted his beard into the conversation right away, which was fantastic. Uh, and speaking of Jim, uh, I am joined in studio by an empty chair. Uh, yes, our second episode of season one, the bearded one himself, is absent from us today. Uh, he is on his way to Texas, uh, helping his son move, and so you are stuck with uh, just me today, and uh, you will not hear the the deep tones of Jim Berg. Uh, but you uh, you just have me today, and we have uh, Mark, uh, our engineer in studio, as always, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get him on the mic eventually. But this show uh, wouldn't be possible without him, so we're we're grateful for Mark and all of his work to make this happen. Uh, but today I want to start off uh, by commending Jim, uh, actually, as I was thinking about preparing for this podcast. I want to commend Jim to you as a positive example uh, for all of you dads out there, because uh, the job of being a dad never ends. Uh, the role, of course, changes from having direct authority over your children to, be, to being a counselor and a friend to your adult children. And, and I believe that uh, you continue to be in a position of honor as a father, uh, honoring your father and mother translates uh, into obedience for your children in the home, but it continues as a position that is worthy of honor and respect from adult children as well. Uh, and so as a dad who continues to pursue influence in his son's life, one of the chief ways that Jim has been helping his son is in researching churches in an area in the area where he is moving to. Uh, and it's not just, you know, really limited minimal research. Uh, and of course, Jim has been going online and reading information, but he's been listening to sermons, um, researching, reading. Uh, he's emailed and he's talked on the phone with pastors in that area. And that's because we, we must prioritize life in the church and not, not simply treat the church and regulate it to 
relegate it to a secondary or even lower status of, as many people do, uh, below the job and the house and the weather, etc. If you are considering a move, priority one should be, is there a solid local church that I could be a part of in the area in which I'm moving to? And that could be a good episode in itself sometime. We'll actually talk about some things today that are relevant to that. Uh, but the point is that Jim, as a dad, uh, has not stopped being concerned about the spiritual well-being of his adult son. Uh, he is actively, proactively, he is, he's being a counselor, he's providing wisdom, and he's seeking to set his son up for success in walking with God in a new place. And, and so for our children... Uh, they have to. They of course have to take the ball and and run with it. They have to step forward and and walk in that wisdom. But fathers like Solomon in Proverbs continue to appeal to their sons to listen and to hear the wisdom that they speak. Uh, but of course, it's up to them to receive it and to follow through. And so, church is is number one above economics, money by way of a job, and and of course the affordability of of the area are very important but they're really not number one. And so dads, I just want to encourage you, be like Jim. Uh, build a relationship with your children where you continue to be a counselor to them into their adulthood. Um, continually pray for them and commit your efforts to helping them prioritize their walk with God in a solid church. And so that's what Jim is away doing uh, in Texas, and uh, he's uh, continuing to build that relationship with his son, helping him move, and and uh, looking forward to getting to some uh, a church this upcoming Lord's Day. So uh, we continue to pray for Jim and wish him well in uh, his time with his son. Well, that was that was free. Uh, that was there was no extra charge for that. That segment was not sponsored by anyone. No obscene profit was gained for that little extra tidbit there. Uh, but now we want we want to get into the main topic of this season here on the show, and and that is to speak of our church distinctives. Now, when we talk about our distinctives, we're not saying that no other church believes these things or holds to these principles or beliefs. These are not uh, things that are unique to the church or to our church. Um, but what we are saying by publishing our distinctives on our website at truthfamilybiblechurch.org is that these are the main things that we emphasize, that we aim to be characterized by. These are things that we want to be known for, and so we, we put these things out front. We are not uh, shy about any of these things. And since these are the values that we talk about and that we practice, uh, we want people to know what we are about. And so listen, it's not like there is a shortage of churches and or, or that they're all full. Uh, but not all churches share the same doctrine, or perhaps just as importantly, and this really comes up when you're really looking for a church, it's one of those things where... Uh, what people actually are looking for in a church is what is their philosophy of ministry. Not all churches share the same philosophy of ministry. A philosophy of ministry is really about what a church believes in terms of delivering the content of the ministry. Now, everything is tied, absolutely, of course, to doctrine, uh, but a philosophy of ministry is about how you execute the mission of your church. And, and what people often find difficult in finding a church or differentiating between churches is that they often go to a doctrinal statement. And if it's an Orthodox church, there's not necessarily a lot of meaningful difference, especially within certain traditions, but even across denominational lines. Most of the stuff in there is Christian. There's going to be 
commitments stated regarding their view of the of the Bible. Uh, there's going to be commitments regarding who Jesus is and what the gospel is, and and, and a lot of that stuff is going to be pretty uniform in terms of what a church says in its doctrinal statement they believe. And again, we're, that's if we're talking, of course, about uh, most evangelical Orthodox Christian churches. But I remember, I remember talking to a, a, an old friend who visited a church for a while, and it was uh, supposedly Calvinistic, uh, meaning that their paperwork says they believe in the doctrines of grace. But when it came down to the teaching and the emphasis of the preaching, she never heard it. And so what is that? That's a church that has a doctrinal statement. It has a lot of the right things, perhaps, in writing, but it isn't a distinctive element of their philosophy of ministry. It's not a distinctive element of how they communicate and and fulfill their ministry roles. And, and so um, it, it's not something that they demonstrate a love for. It's just technically this is what we believe. Um, but that's more of a, a church that's technically holding to something, but doesn't love it or is a bit shy about it. Yeah, technically we're Calvinistic, but we we don't necessarily want to make that a thing. Uh, that stuff in the doctrinal statement is not necessarily part of their philosophy of ministry, which would be to speak to or to elevate or to promote, to, to really love being about those doctrines. And so really our distinctives are an effort to put out in front for anyone interested in checking out our church— these things are distinguishing elements of our philosophy of ministry. These are the values that mark us as a church, and there will likely be a fair bit of that that differentiates us from other churches. Now, they may not be the only things, but these are what we want to be known for, and so we put them out front. And so it, I, I really think that it's about time that churches have a sense of clarity and boldness for who we are called to be in the service of Christ and the doctrines that glorify him. So much of the church today is worried about you, the consumer. We'll put some scare quotes around consumer. Uh, and, and worried about how you might associate us with those stereotypes of old fundamentalist type churches where people actually take corporate worship seriously. A lot of churches want you to know just how casual you can be, how authentic they are, uh, how they've tailored everything toward your convenience and comfort. Their coffee has its own name. Uh, their childcare will assure you of a peaceful experience. The music will be a blend of elements that you will like. But in putting out in front our distinctives, we are seeking to highlight what we believe is important about how we live what we believe churches to be about. But truly, Every church does. Uh, when they put out front how and, and what they do is for you, they are telling you about what's important to them. And so that's a part of, again, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of as you look for a church, as you uh, consider, you know, how do I tell the difference? Uh, how can I begin to understand what a, how a church uh, functions and what they hold dear and how they minister? Uh, these are some of the cues and things that you that you look for, and a lot of those things are out front on their website. Um, or by their not being out front on the website, perhaps it raises some questions that require further investigation. Now, it, some might suggest or question, isn't it all just marketing, uh, trying to appeal to your target audience? Well, uh, my response to that is well, sort of. 
but it's not the same philosophy of marketing. We are trying to market ourselves, which is just another way of saying we are trying to let people know who we are and what we are about, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But what we want to do by way of our distinctives uh, is to identify our ministry as focused on truth that comes from God by means of his word, which is doctrine, that's theology, and, and that we are about exalting Christ in everything and in every way. And if that's what you, if that's what you're about, if that's what the person trying to find a, a good local church is about, and if that's what you need, where, where it's not all about plush accommodations and being pampered, then this may be for you. But I'll, I'll tell you, I shared this a while back at church. I received an email from someone who read our distinctives online and who hadn't yet visited our church, and he said that this one distinctive that we put out front uh, was a deal breaker for him. No way. Will not pass go, will not collect $200. Uh, no way will I show up if that's what you value. And while that's too bad, we believe that putting ourselves out front, no bait and switch, no soft pedaling, back porching, no embarrassment, um, it, it's time to recover an apostolic flavor of Christianity back into the church. And so if you're interested in possibly coming to our church, we just want people to know out front, this is what you get. This is who we are. This is who we aim to be. And, and so that, that's a, there's a philosophy with that. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a reason and a, and a method um, for, that, for that process and for that uh, putting it out there. Uh, another reason, though, for highlighting these distinctives is so that we ourselves are reminded of the things that we value. Because it, it's not just for people who, who discover our church, but these are the values that we want to be part of our church. They have to be true. They have to be part of, of how we live out the Christian faith in this local assembly. And just like with a lot of things in life, uh, but especially in the church, if you don't love it, you'll lose it. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is equally easy to love, or I love all things exactly the same. Some things we have to work, uh, we have to work at by way of a better understanding. Uh, some things we have to practice. Some things we have to study. Some things uh, we have to be in prayer about. But that's normal. Okay? That's life. Uh, that's how all, actually, it's actually how all love works. And as a church, these distinctives remind us of what we love, what, what we have to work at, what we have to fight for, and, and what we have to hold on to if we're going to be a church that lasts. We want this to be a generational church that outlives us all and remains faithful to the Lord. And for, uh, for that to happen, you better have some distinctives that are worth fighting for. You have to have some distinctives that you build in that become part of your culture, part of, uh, of the things that you, uh, that you really have grown to appreciate and love and would hate to be without. And these are the distinctives that, uh, that really seek to drive what we do as a church. All right, so what are the distinctives of Truth Family Bible Church? Well, those are listed on our website, but we're just going to start off with uh, number one, uh, the Lordship of Christ and Biblical Worldview. The Lordship of Christ and Biblical Worldview. Now, why is that number one and not numbers one and two? Because I said the Lordship of Christ and Biblical Worldview. Why wouldn't it be Lordship number one, Biblical Worldview number two? Well, the reason is because a biblical worldview is oriented toward an understanding of the lordship of Christ overall. 
And, and so when you understand from the scripture that Jesus is Lord, then that affects everything, and you recognize that the Bible from cover to cover leads us to him, and all the implications for life are wrapped up in that reality. And so since the Bible is truly about the lordship of Christ, when you go to the Bible to look for instruction and for how to view the world, the lordship of Christ uh, is inseparable uh, from a biblical worldview. If you don't get lordship right, you won't have a truly biblical worldview. And so they are truly linked together. So let's let's talk about the lordship of Christ. Uh, first, I, I want to define some terms here. I want to define really what we're talking about because that is so important. Uh, I was a theology major in college, uh, a little bit of background biographical information. I attended the master's college. It's now called the Master's University in Southern California. Uh, I, so it's, that was my undergraduate work. Uh, that's Dr. John MacArthur was the uh, president of the university or college at that time. And uh, as a theology major, my head theology professor over that department was a great uh, old teacher um, by the name of C.W. Smith. He passed away, I think it was like a year after I graduated or maybe about, um, maybe it was later that summer. I don't, I don't remember when it was, um, but he was uh, getting on in years and, and he had a, just a, a great wisdom and, and a, a wonderful rapport with a lot of his theology guys. And, and he had a few statements that have stuck with me over the years. And one of them, it was just really simple. It's theology is the business of defining your terms. Theology is the business of defining your terms. So you, you take the word God, and when you continue to expand out the definition of God, his attributes, what it means to be divine, etc., you have the field of study called theology, which is defining God. It's studying God. And so when it comes to the word Lord or lordship, what does that mean? Well, first of all, a lord is a title given to a person. It is not a name, but it is a title given to a person, and a, and a person who holds that title, sometimes we use the, the, the word name for it, uh, that's not wrong, but technically it's a title, and it's given to a person in a position of authority who has control or, or power. And it's an elevated position of rank among persons, and it can be used in several contexts. And we have some familiar, familiarity with that in terms of the, for instance, the English feudal system of lords and ladies and barons and sirs. Uh, but Lord uh, points to an elevated position of authority. But interestingly, there's a passage in Genesis 18 where we have three references to Lord. The first is in all caps, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in verse 1. And we know that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, and we'll, we'll address some of that at another time as to why translators say Lord in all caps uh, instead. But then in verse 3, Abraham says, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. The Hebrew word there is Adonai. And then in verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And so Sarah is calling her husband Abraham, my Lord, using the same word that Abraham used when speaking of the Lord, Adonai, who we know was Yahweh. Now, that simple little line of Sarah's, 
was picked up on by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, in his instruction to women in the church to be submissive to their own husbands like the holy women of old. That comes in, verses, uh, in verse 5. And then in verse 6, Peter says, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. The Greek word here is kurios, and that's the same title that is given to Jesus. And so ladies, if you really want to poke some feminists in the eye, rhetorically speaking, that is, just refer to your husband as Lord in public a few times and just see how people react. And of course, uh, you can still call him sweetie and honey and babe, but if you, if you really want to get biblical, call him Lord without it being a joke. Uh, they'll probably call the cops as they fear for your safety, but anyway, the word, uh, the title, highlights a person's elevated position of authority. This person is over me. And, and when you look up the word kurios in a Greek lexicon, the definition reads, of person having a power or authority, lord or master of. Now, this is a word that when defined and applied is not a word that we independent, American-minded Idahoans particularly like. In our day, if anything is prized the most, it is our personal autonomy. We've heard this a lot lately, even just recently. The Satanists at the Idaho State Capitol were arguing for bodily autonomy. The right to uh, abortion, for instance, is about a woman's autonomous right to kill her baby. The extreme libertarian doesn't want anyone restricting his personal autonomy and liberty to do whatever he wants to do. And in a feminist culture like we live in today, women cringe at the idea of not holding a position of equality in the marriage relationship. Hardly anyone wants to cozy up to the idea of lordship unless I get to be lord over me and maybe if I get to be Lord over someone else, but our independence-minded ways have difficulty with the idea that someone is Lord over me, that they have an elevated position of authority. And of course, especially in the New Testament, you have language and comments about those in authority, those who are Lords, are to be given respect and honor for that position. But biblically speaking, the place to start in having a biblical worldview is in recognizing that many people may have the title of Lord because they truly have authority over a particular area or jurisdiction. Peter's point in his epistle is that husbands are lords in the home, having authority over his wife and children by extension. And as we already mentioned, you can have lords over territories or certain jurisdictions. And that's that key idea in that English feudal system that I mentioned. Many men may be considered entitled as Lord, but the question is, Lord, over what? Lord, over what jurisdiction? Master, over what domain? And so Abraham was Lord, considered so by Sarah, over his household. That's Peter's point, which is why wives are called to recognize that fact, that reality, through their, uh, the, through their submission to their husband. Oliver Cromwell, in a different case, was given the title in the 17th century, I like this title, the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland. The Lord Protector. 
And so his responsibility was protection over those limited pieces of land. But when we talk about the lordship of Christ, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, when we say that our distinctive as a church is to recognize the lordship of Christ, the issue we need to deal with is defining his lordship. You see, nobody cares if someone has the title of Lord until you begin to define the jurisdiction of that lordship. We're happy to give Jesus the title of Lord, but what's the extent of that authority? And we're happy to give the title of Lord, perhaps even to uh, regular people in this uh, culture or, or in the world over a particular territory, as long as they're really far away from us. But you really begin to care about it when that claim to lordship uh, gets, so to speak, into your kitchen, when it actually matters that you are under a lordship. So we're not talking at this point of what kind of lord someone is in terms of how well they exercise their lordship. We're just talking about the title of lordship and the jurisdiction of it. And so really the issue that we want to address moving forward here is what is the extent, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What is the extent of his lordship? What is the jurisdiction that is claimed for Christ being Lord? And so when it comes to the lordship of Christ, what are we saying? Well, that's the place we will pick up again next week, because that's all the time that we have for truth today. So thank you for joining us today, and until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and your commitment to Christ as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth.